we're not visible. We're like the invisible thing that everybody knows about. Um, you know, if you have a heart issue or diabetes, people know about that and they're familiar with that because those organizations have been out there and, and been very uh, active. Um, people aren't really sure about Alzheimer's. Um, and there's some embarrassment of, uh, gee, I, I thought I was doing well, gee, I have a nice house and I'm accomplished and how can this happen to me? And it's just taking away who I am. Welcome to the Trusted Partner Podcast, hosted by Jesse Kramer and Gabe Chodak. Jesse and Gabe are relationship managers at Cobblestone Capital Advisors, a comprehensive wealth management firm that serves families and individuals in all aspects of their financial lives. All opinions expressed by Jesse and Gabe or any podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Cobblestone Capital Advisors. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Cobblestone Capital Advisors may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. We want to hear from you. Send us an email with questions, suggestions, or content ideas to our email address, podcasts at cobblestonecap.com. And don't forget to subscribe to the Trusted Partner Podcast on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Hello and welcome to episode 35 of the Trusted Partner Podcast. Today, our guest is Arlene Wilson of the Alzheimer's Association of the Finger Lakes and Rochester. Jesse, the unfortunate reality is so many families are impacted by Alzheimer's and it's not just the emotional impact and the familial impact, it's the financial impact as well. And so today we talk with Arlene about how to plan and how to work towards building steps in a financial plan that can address something that unfortunately may occur. Yeah, Gabe, I, I really enjoyed the actionable steps that Arlene was able to share with us, whether it's broaching some of those hard initial conversations with our parents or loved ones as they might be slipping into Alzheimer's or some other uh, brain illness, but then also, as you mentioned, the financial impacts and, and how we can deal with them, how we can help our loved ones on this, this challenging journey. So without further ado, here's Arlene Wilson on episode 35. Arlene, th thanks so much for coming in today. And based on some of our previous conversation, we thought we'd actually start with some of your personal story, even before we get to the, the Alzheimer's Association and your involvement there, just some of your personal family story in dealing with Alzheimer's. Do you mind sharing some of those details no problem, with us? No problem. Um, I think one of the things, and maybe it's a little philosophical, sometimes as you get older, life puts you in situations where you need to be. And so as I'm working with the Alzheimer's Association, it's it's kind of apropos because I've gone through the situation with uh, my mother-in-law, my grandmother, an uncle, two brother-in-laws, my mother and my father, and a sister. So it's, uh, it's had a, a huge personal impact and um, that that's, it's had a huge personal impact. Um, in terms of planning and in uh, your lane in terms of financial planning, I, I like to hold my mother up as a great example of how to do it. Um, while it's difficult dealing with the mental changes and the forgetfulness and the inability to problem solve, which she took great pride in, she got to a point where she realized, I'm dropping the ball a lot. I need help. So let's sit down and talk how we're going to do this. And so, you know, we had, she had a trust uh, set up. So, you know, finances were handled through the trust. We went to the bank, created a bank account uh, where as the, the daughter, I could uh, be a, a co uh, 
uh, member on the bank accounts. Um, I was a designated person with power of attorney. I was a designated person for healthcare proxy. I was a designated person that would pay the bills. And I met the bank manager, I met the bank president. So they understood everything that was going on. So that in terms of finances and money management was a very smooth transition. We even did the other difficult conversation, which was, okay, you have this lovely house in the suburbs, and the ideal theoretically of having a house was to buy a small house, to get more houses, your salary increases, get the big house when you're at your peak salary, and then as you plan retirement, you would downsize and you would live off the equity of your house. Now, some people just, they forgot that last part about the downsizing and they want to keep this big house. But we had the talk and we're able to downsize. And there's a lot of wonderful assisted senior living communities, particularly in the suburbs. So she ended up moving two miles from her house. So familiar stores, same doctors, same church, but now a place where there's other seniors, there's help, you don't have to cook, you don't have to clean, um, and all of that's taken care of. So again, when you plan for those things, now you can sell the house, you have those assets and resources, and you can live comfortably and live well, right? So still a, a challenging situation, obviously just from the, the personal, from the family side, but there are certain steps you can take that make the situation easier, that make dealing with Alzheimer's Yes, easier, yes. but not every situation always works out that way. Right, sometimes, right. sometimes those side, those other conversations are are more of a struggle. Yes, and and you know when we finally had the conversation to sell the house and to downsize, that wasn't the first time we had the conversation, and we had multiple interventions with my sister and other relatives, grandchildren. It wasn't happening, but it had to take for the Alzheimer to. Um, have enough issues coming up with the memory losses, um, the difficulty completing familiar tasks, confusion with time and place. So you thought you paid the bill, you didn't pay the bill, you thought you paid it, and now, gee, okay, six months went by and you haven't paid your car note. And five months went by, you haven't paid the insurance, the insurance is canceled. So those are the type of issues that don't present when you're the child, the adult child living out of town, or the adult child that just stops by on Sunday afternoons to see mom and dad. Somebody has to sit down with mom or dad and have the in-depth conversations. Somebody has to sit down and look around the house analytically. What's different? Why is there a giant pile of bills that haven't been dealt with? Why is there a huge pile of mail? How come you're subscribing to 15 magazines? You never read magazines before. Um, what are those things that are different? And that's an indication that there may be some cognitive uh, memory processing issues. Now, when you're talking about this and it seems like in your personal situation you were still able to get through do a lot of people that you see start the planning process well before and just in case there might be some cognitive decline or is most of it in what you experience done once they start to see some of those signs i i would say it's once they've seen signs or it's a crisis so this discussion happens after dad gets lost. He's driving and they get a call. Mr. Johnson is here at the Quickie Mart in Batavia and he doesn't know how to get home. And his, your number was on his phone. So we're calling you, come and get Mr. Jones, Mr. Johnson, who lives in Greece. And he just drove to Batavia because it was a highway and he just kept driving. Um, or uh, Mrs. You know, James who went out for a walk and couldn't find her way home. And somebody saw this lady just walking uh, in circles up and down the block and they stopped and luckily a nice person stopped, didn't take advantage of her and helped her find a way home. Those are the situations where people are realizing, oh, there's a problem. But 
really, as the Alzheimer's Association, we would ask people to look for warning signs before it gets to a time when you need to call for the police or you need to have family go looking for your missing adult and your missing loved one. What would some of those warning signs be? I mean, I, I assume there's a pretty fine line between being overbearing to your spouse or your parents or your siblings uh, or your grandparents and also trying to recognize so that you can be there to take care of them and, and not be in crisis management. Yes. So, and again, we call them the 10 warning signs. Um, so things like memory loss that disrupts daily life, challenging and planning or solving problems, difficulty completing familiar tasks, confusion with time and place. So again, this might be mom going to make breakfast and everything burns up and now the fire department is there because mom forgot to turn off the stove or she went in the next room and forgot she was cooking. Mm -hmm. Mom doesn't show up on time or shows up on the wrong day for a family gathering. Dad didn't remember to turn off the car. So the car is running in the garage. Maybe, um, you know, some of those aren't too relevant for like my mom who isn't a good cook to begin with so she may burn <laughs> things down i know she doesn't listen so it's okay 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 so right and this is where it's different from you had the fire up too high you were trying a new recipe and you burned it okay this is you know like i made pies and i won't pay attention to pie crust burn okay yes but as opposed to trying to make a pie and you leave the house to run an errand and you left the pie in the oven and you come back and smoke is billowing out all your windows i I would assume too that this can be really difficult. One, because yes. it's mostly recognized by children yes. and they don't want to recognize yes. those signs. Um, but also, if you're spending so much time with your parents, if they live in close proximity mm -hmm. to you, it could often, you may not be able to see the difference. Similar to like when yes. you, know, you don't see your grandkids for a while and then you see them and they're so much taller and so much bigger. And yes. so that time delay can allow more recognition. Right. So you may find now we're, we're through the Thanksgiving holidays, you went to visit family, and the family who lives there is saying, oh, well, they're just getting older, a little forgetful. But you're the one who came from out of town. You're like, no, this is more than just forgetful. Like, this person can't remember everybody's name. They had four kids. They don't remember their kids' names. This person is not remembering past activities or hobbies, or they've stopped doing certain hobbies. Why'd you stop knitting? Why'd you stop going to um, card games with your friends? Well, card games is a cognitive activity, right? If you're playing Euchre, you're playing Bridge, you're playing Bidwist. And if you can't remember numbers and how they add up and what the rules are, the easy, the easy out is stop going. That example you just used, Arlene, or maybe a couple examples ago, you said maybe it takes the out-of-town child to come in and say, yes. no, no, I have enough perspective because I've been away for a while mm -hmm. to see the contrast between how mom used to be and how she is today. Right. And you use the example of, you know, well, is she a little bit forgetful or is this a serious problem? And I mean, this is a bit of a scientific question, so feel free to, to pass on it if maybe I should consult with a, a PhD neurologist. But is it normal for older people to get, you know, a little bit forgetful? Yes. Is there a difference between, you know, this little bit forgetful and true Alzheimer's or dementia? Right, right, yes. A little bit forgetful, yes. Um, but again, if it was just one of these 10 warning signs, you're like, well, maybe they were tired, um, maybe they were, you know, overtaxed. But when you're seeing multiple things and you're seeing things that are really out of personality and a major change in personality. So a person who's very friendly and outgoing now doesn't want to be social. Um, a person who is very easygoing is very short-tempered and argumentative. Um, for some people, when they're confused or they're misplacing things, they go to something that's some, they go to a solution that is not logical. So if dad can't find his keys, somebody's been coming in the house and moving my stuff. 
and you're like, nobody's coming here. Yes, they are. Somebody's been breaking into this house in the middle of the night, and they moved my keys, they moved my shoes, and they moved my pants, and now I can't find my wallet, and uh, I, I don't know what's going on. Maybe it's your friends. Maybe it's that guy you're dating. And now they've gone down this path to blame somebody else instead of, because then that means I don't have to think about what's going on with me. This is really important to consider because as this, and again, every instance is different, but as this starts to take hold, the irrational behavior and uh, the irrational behavior can lead to poor money management or finance yes. decisions. And yes. so it really is this theme of being proactive versus reactive. And even when you aren't, something we preach a lot with our clients and try to facilitate is a planning process that can always evolve, but should be talked about regularly and regularly updated so you don't find yourself in the situation when you're not at your best. Exactly, exactly. And so, you know, this is where it would be advisable with families, uh, with adult children. The adult children have to sit down and be in agreement. Who's going to approach this conversation? Let's say there is no Alzheimer, there is no dementia, there is no cognitive decline. With family who are healthy and well, we all know at one point our eyes are going to close and it will be the end. So pretending that we're not going to pass is not adult behavior, right? So you know your parents are going to pass. What's the plan? Burial, cremation, uh, burial here, burial where they were born, um, what kind of what kind of burial do they want? What kind of cremation do they want a service? They didn't go to church, um, but they want a church service. Who's going to make that happen? So all of those things need to be discussed, and it makes it easier in the time. Having gone through a loss of my mom and my sister, the worst time to make those decisions is when you're grieving and you're in, in that emergency mode. How am I going to pay for this? Who covers this? Is there insurance? You want to have those conversations. And whoever is the designated person, somebody's got to have the insurance account number. Nothing worse than trying to look through papers to find insurance information, to find wills, to find uh, investment information. You know, mom and dad had stocks, bonds. Uh, who is the company? Who is the portfolio manager? Now you've got to go through 18 drawers, boxes to find this stuff while you're grieving. And that's something I've heard it called a life file or a, or a death binder, or it goes by different names. It's, it's a bit of a tall ask to, to ask someone to put it together, but it is very important for them to do. Uh, it can be a one-time task that then gets updated maybe on an annual basis. Mm -hmm. But there is a list of, of documents that someone can, can Google or can reach out to us. These are the documents that you should have placed to the side, have copies for your loved ones or for your spouse or for your next of kin, whoever it is, and not only documents, but also all of this tangential information, whether it's policy numbers or trusted contacts or right custodians of assets, those kind of things. Because when someone passes and that information isn't known, whether it's because of Alzheimer's or, or a, mental, a mental disease or just because, you know, hey, death is coming for us all at some point, uh, it's you can leave behind a really big mess for your loved ones. And, and right, their grieving is hard enough let alone picking up those you know, financial and logistical and legal pieces as well. And you don't want to look like the world's cheapest cheapskate when you're at the funeral home and you're like, what's the cheapest coffin you have? What's the cheapest plot you have? I don't want to pay for all that. But at the same time, you don't want to be gouged. And I've seen family and friends be gouged. They're grieving. Oh, we have to show our respect for mom. Let's get the $20,000 casket with a gold lining. It's going in the ground. <laughs> really? Really? You are, you are getting taken advantage of right now. So, you know, you want to find that middle road. And it all comes with communication and, and yes. conversation. Yes. I'm thinking about adult children who see some of these 10 warning signs that you mentioned before. They, they see that their mom or their dad or that a loved one is, it looks like they're going through some cognitive decline and they think it's important to bring it up and it's a part of the conversation, but man, it just seems like such a hard conversation to have. So do you have any tips or tricks or thoughts on how adult children can start to have this conversation with their parents? I would 
ask people to do their homework first. I would have them call the Alzheimer's Association. We have an 800 number and we have a care consultation available 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're 1-800-272-3900 or you can go to the website alz.org. And so with that call and you ask for a care consultation, you get a 30-minute uh, advisory session that you can explain your situation and they will give you solutions and suggestions. So the 10 warning signs, you can talk about what you're seeing and now they can help you kind of have a preliminary plan. If you think mom or dad may need to uh, move out of the house, that they're not safe to live alone. You could ask for information about assisted living. If you think they're okay in the home but they need help, you can now look at maybe getting Meals on Wheels or getting home health aid services. And so that care consultation will help you kind of walk through what are the options for staying safely in place, moving from the current uh, situation, helping with food, um, those type of things. If you have a uh, parents and one is showing decline, one is not. Maybe one is still working. And so there's senior uh, daycare, for lack of a better term, but there's senior activities. So you may want to find out what's available in your community and have your that loved one in that um, position so they can go to that. There's also something called respite care. So you can have a person come in and give the primary caregiver a break. Maybe that husband wants to take care of his wife, but he just needs one or two hours twice a week to just get away go get a haircut, um, play cards with the boys, go see a movie, and just need a break, or even just other things, a grocery shop, and know that his wife is safe and secure in the house. So again, uh, getting him um, signed up for respite care services would, would meet that need. And so those are some of the things that can be uh, addressed calling the Alzheimer's Association. Is the Alzheimer's Association the first and only stop, um, or do people also kind of work in conjunction with their physicians, or how does how does the process yeah. even work? So I would say it's probably one of your first three stops. You definitely want to have um, a discussion with your doctor. Here's where it becomes difficult, and we're having those uh, permissions, right? Because now we have HIPAA, right? So I can't call my dad's doctor and discuss his case, right? Unless he signed consent, right? So this is where Maybe adult children need to have a discussion like, okay, mom and dad, um, in case of emergency, you know, you have to have somebody's name for the house if there's a fire, um, but let's talk about medical. If somebody needs to make a medical decision for you when you're in the hospital, one of us need to be on that list. So, you know, now we have everything. Um, we have electronic medical records, whether you're with the Strong System or you're with Rochester General. And so, you know, you can have a designated person on that electronic record. But again, this is all that pre-planning. Yeah, and it's something too that we see a lot is people have their power of attorney, even their beneficiaries listed, and they, don't think to update those. And it may be your spouse and nothing better than having your spouse there, but when you're both 80, you may not want your spouse as the power of attorney. They could find themselves in cognitive decline or um, maybe not be around anymore. So thinking about those items and consistently updating them, making sure they're still relevant is, is really important. And I think that's an easy first conversation out of multiple that are gonna get progressively harder, right? So you start with that. And so you start with, you know, even your pension, you know? So yes, your spouse is primary, who's gonna be secondary? And so let's start thinking now and start making those decisions. It's not argumentative, it's not combative. You can't have all four kids be secondary, pick one. And, and make sure they know and understand. 
And then once that's done, maybe you're going to have one child for pensions. You're going to have another child for health decisions. You're going to have another child for the house or multiple properties. And so once those decisions are made and it's in writing now, as other things progress, you've got kind of an equal distribution of labor, if you will. Mm-hmm. And, and that presents another um, interesting conversational issue is, is is just that. Let's say you do have multiple children, three or four children involved, mm-hmm. and there's the question of splitting up the responsibility of these various tasks. Some children might be local. Some children might be living at a distance. Um, and then there's the splitting up of, of potential over the long run benefits, you know, if, if a parent were to pass or, or something along those lines, the inheritance. And that can be a really hard conversation when, when or if things are unequal. Yes. If one child is bearing the brunt of uh, care for yeah. the parent, or if one child, for whatever reason, uh, the parents decide to leave behind more resources to that child. Open and honest and frank conversation is probably the only solution to that, yes. uh, especially when parents are able to, whether in writing or, or just via in-person conversation, let their wishes known to all children involved. And it's something I, I think of Warren Buffett. Okay, everybody knows him. He's his example. But mm-hmm. every couple of years, he sits in a room with his grown children who are you know 60 or 70 years old themselves, has that conversation and says, if you have any grievances, let them be known now because when I die, you're not going to be able to speak anymore, uh, or I'm not going to be able to speak anymore. So I think that point is really important for families to have these open, honest, frank conversations. And if they feel like something isn't quite fair, the only way to get through it is to hash it out and and talk. Well, and also too, you know, life isn't fair. So you're looking at maybe one out of 10 people develop Alzheimer's Mm. and other related dementias. So it's, it's a toss of a coin in that way. And then there's also a genetic component. So it does run in families. And so that's something to consider. As you see it with your grandparents, you see with your parents, you also have to think it may happen in your sibling group. So so that's one part. The other part is the difficult conversations, the difficult decisions are always difficult and some people will not be happy. And so, and work isn't always equally apportioned and signed up for and real talk. So. You still are looking at what's the greater good for mom and dad, what's the greater good for grandma and grandpa. And if it's one child or grandchild who's taking on the brunt, um, that may not be fair, but it may also be that that's the one who's the really good reader. That's the one who's really good with the internet. That's the one who went to college and understands legal and and financial planning. And everybody in the family doesn't have that aptitude and that skill set. So it's unfair, it's unequal, but it's going to get done and if you want it done right and if you want to know that it's going to be followed through sometimes there is that one sometimes you're lucky too who will follow through and make sure it happens yeah i mean we we have those open conversations in our family and I, my brother's not useless he has some skills but um certainly this is my area of expertise and i while we're co-executors co um you know proxies Mm-hmm. I will bear the brunt of it, but mm-hmm. keep him involved with every conversation. We have those conversations now. And so yes. it's just an understanding that some people, it's an understanding that his skill sets will be used in different ways right. during whatever period we need them to be used. Yes. And, and when you say this is your skill, Gabe, you mean on the mic? Correct. Correct. Yes. You're yes. the skilled brother on the microphone. On, on the microphone or perhaps in front of a television if, if there were one. So. <laughs> My, my brother's the lead anchor on Channel 8, so. Ooh, okay, then. <laughs> Hopefully he has a little to I do want to explore a little more of the Alzheimer's Association and the resources that are available. I mean, even okay. how, how is it funded? How yes. did it? Yeah, because I, I think a lot of people don't even understand. You know, I mean, you said that just call up and you can have a free consultation. And, you know, I spent a little time on the website just exploring. I know there's some more resources that you can talk about, but how does that even get provided? 
So we are very fortunate. We receive um, the majority of our funding for education and outreach from New York State Department of Health. Um, so again, we're very fortunate to be in a state that is committed to Alzheimer research and education, and we cover nine counties. So we are, our office is in Brighton and Meridian uh, Center, but we cover Shemung, Steuben, Seneca, Livingston, Schuyler, Yates, Wayne, Monroe, Ontario. and Ontario. Ontario. Okay. Yes. And that's specifically, that's the Rochester Finger Lakes yes. chapter. Of yes. The, and then even though most of your funding is from New York State, are, are, is it a state organization or is it a national organization? Uh, it's a national organization. Okay. So we're the Rochester Finger Lakes chapter of the Alzheimer's Association, which is a national organization. And then we also uh, receive funding from grants. And uh, thank you, Daisy Marquis-Jones uh, has funded us. And uh, we also uh, receive money from fundraising. So we have the Walk for Alzheimer's. We have the Longest Day, which is um, in the spring at the Equinox, when organizations and groups can do their own fundraiser um, and donate to the Alzheimer's Association. And then we have a gala coming up in the spring as well. Sorlene, what's your, your specific role at the Alzheimer's Association? So my title is Senior Director of Programs. And as I was explaining, we have, um, we have uh, 12 staff that do education, outreach, care consultations. Um, they will table at health fairs. And um, so I supervise that division. And then I also am looking to expand our reach. Um, Alzheimer's disproportionately affects African-Americans and Latinos. And we also are seeing um, disproportionately larger numbers in rural areas, which we think is a function of not having as many services and supports in place and as many hospital and medical providers in rural areas. So uh, my role is to expand our reach in rural areas, expand our reach with African-American, Latinos, and other communities of color and other um, disadvantaged community groups, as well as get us out there in front of everybody. So opportunities like this are great. So thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and what would you say, I mean, what are some of the challenges that the Alzheimer's Association has in terms of just education? Is it resistance or? We're not visible. Yeah. We're not visible. We're like the invisible thing that everybody knows about. Um, you know, if you have a heart issue or diabetes, people know about that and they're familiar with that because those organizations have been out there and, and been very uh, active. Um, people aren't really sure about Alzheimer's um, and there's some embarrassment of, uh, gee, I, I thought I was doing well, gee, I have a nice house, and I'm accomplished, and how can this happen to me? And it's just taking away who I am. So one piece, too, that make that especially makes me think of is people being taken advantage of, uh, especially Ooh, yes. financially yes. for purposes of this podcast, but just in general. What do you see there? What are some signs, some resources, um, preventative measures? without taking another 30 minutes. Yeah, that's a whole other conversation. Maybe I'll be back for that one. Um, but uh, we have uh, have other community partners that work in that space. New York Connects is a great program um, that does a lot of education around that. And Lifespan, another one of our community partners, um, has uh, actually staff that go out and really help seniors with um, those fraud and those deceptive advertising, deceptive marketing. Um, the biggest one is the phone, phone solicitations. I remember with my mom when we had the um, change with utilities and you could pick additional utilities. These people, I mean, they prey on seniors. So I'm looking at her bills and of course she's got, they signed up for five different utility companies for heat. You can only have one. You can only have one. And she lived in Fairport. So she had Fairport Electric. She doesn't need all these others. So she has six. And again, just taking advantage of seniors. 
And so, again, this is where having that intervention, having that designated family person to really intervene. I've heard some people even will uh, put uh, blocks against certain numbers on phones. Um, there is the do not call registry. That's a resource. Um, and uh, even blocking some of these other uh, services on cell phones uh, because now they're calling your cell phones. It isn't just the landlines. Yeah. And, the, and there is, a, fortunately, you know, the SEC has spent a lot of time over the last couple of years in terms of regulation and awareness for advisors in terms of recognition of potential abuse of elder citizens in cognitive decline. And so it's another point that is worth noting, going back to how difficult it is during the time of grieving to go through all of those pieces, it doesn't mean that your child or your trusted person needs to be involved in every conversation, but they should probably meet your financial advisor. They yes. should meet your attorney. They should yes. meet your CPA. They should meet those people at least once. So it's not the first time they're calling, but those people also have a resource to that power of attorney who they are able to communicate with. And and to make sure that these businesses uh, are, you know, are honest and scrupulous and Again, when you have that designated person in the family, that's a double check. That's another set of eyes. Even if you're not a senior, you don't have cognitive decline. We look for other people to ask their opinion. What do you think about this mortgage option? What do you think about this investment option? So have a trusted family member be that person for you. Yeah, and, and that oversight, like you said earlier in, in one of our conversations, you were talking about not paying taxes for six months. I mean, that can create a lot of issues, let alone just getting those paid and finding the funds to do that, but also legal issues, dealing with the IRS, all those other pieces. So having that second set of eyes, having someone as you age, just looking over your shoulder, isn't the worst idea in the world. So Arlene, you were, you were saying before that one of the biggest struggles uh, is that sometimes people, they don't quite know who to reach out to when either they're going through a cognitive decline or they recognize it. I could imagine that someone's first impulse might be to go talk to a doctor, maybe their primary care physician about it. But but is that the best choice? I mean, are, are primary care physicians always equipped with, with recognizing the symptoms you know what? of Alzheimer's? No, no, they're not always equipped. And part of our work, and we have staff dedicated to providing continuing education to physicians and to primary uh, physicians, nurse practitioners, even first responders. Sometimes the paramedics are the one who identify the issue because they're coming to the house all the time. So if we can educate those groups, now we're having more impact. And so it's important for doctors to understand that Alzheimer's is not the same as, you know, just uh, seniors having occasional memory lapses. Um, it's important that they know the warning signs. It's important that they're asking the more probing questions. Um, early Alzheimer's may just look like forgetfulness, but more intermediate and late stages now look like something else. This is the, the people you hear about wandering and lost. Um, this is the, the people, those kind of bad stories I told earlier on. That's more intermediate or advanced Alzheimer's. And that's where you need that medical intervention to be able to get a referral for home health aid, to get a referral to a nursing home, to get referral for uh, maybe durable medical equipment. Uh, my dad really benefited from having an ambulator because his legs and his body got weak. So it's like a walker, but with a seat and a little basket underneath. My mom appreciated that as well. Um, and again, health insurance will cover some things, but you have to have a diagnosis. And you have to have a doctor who understands what they're seeing to be able to provide a diagnosis. And then one other thought I had was, um, one thing we've talked about a lot today is the role of the caretaker, whether that's the spouse who's the healthier spouse, or you know, oftentimes it's a child or a grandchild. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of work, it's a lot of mental stress, and then in some cases, I mean, what if that caretaker themselves somehow becomes 
unhealthy or disabled or can no longer provide care, I mean, is there anything that the caretaker should be thinking beforehand to, to some preventative measures? They should actually start taking care of themselves. Um, I've, I've been down this road and you now you hurt your arm, you hurt your back, um, your blood pressure is up. Um, and so I, I know I had a nurse practitioner tell me, you have to take care of yourself. She said, stop letting your mother use you as a walker um, because she doesn't want to use a walker. She doesn't want to be seen with a walker. So now she's walking with you and, and I'm, I'm kind of wobbling like a weeble here. And, uh, <laughs> and that really hurts your caregiver's back. But um, it's important that uh, we give caregivers that, that break and that respite. So if there's a grandchild who could sit with grandma, if there's a church member who could sit with dad uh, while he watches the game, um, just giving that person a little bit of R&R so they can wash their hair, so they can go see a movie, so they can go grocery shopping and know their loved one is safe and that they don't have to worry for an hour or two really is a big help. And our system could not function without the help of unpaid caregivers. If you had to pay, for all of that time, uh, it would break our medical system. So it's important that people are giving of their time and also giving of their money. They're coming out of the pocket for everything that mom or grandpa may need. Um, we need to make sure that they're taken care of. So, I mean, on that topic, Arlene, once again, I, I feel like we should provide info to our listeners right now. How can people reach out to either you directly or to the Alzheimer's Association of, of Finger Lakes and, and Rochester region to learn more, to, to figure out these resources, to look up the, the 10 signs and symptoms, those kinds of things? So definitely reach out to us at the 800 number, 1-800-272-3900, um, and tell them you want information about the Rochester Finger Lakes chapter. We have an electronic newsletter that has all of our workshops. We have support groups in all nine counties. We have multiple support groups uh, in Monroe County and surrounding counties. Um, we have virtual support groups. We have all men support groups. We have women support groups. Um, we have um, early Alzheimer's uh, social activities where a caregiver and the person with Alzheimer's can uh, go to the Memorial Art Gallery or uh, catch a show and just kind of have a time where they're with other people going through the same situation so it feels safe and it feels comfortable. They don't have to explain. They don't have to feel embarrassed. Um, and then we have lots of education. We do lots and lots of education for the community, for uh, caregivers, for uh, medical professionals, um, just so people are really understanding about Alzheimer's and all the different types of dementia. And listeners, thank you for tuning in to the Trusted Partner Podcast. We want to start answering some of your questions on the show. So if you have an investing, a financial planning, a personal finance question, send that question to podcast at cobblestonecap.com. Once again, that's podcast at cobblestonecap.com. Thank you again for listening to the Trusted Partner Podcast.